Hello and welcome to the Sam Knows Podcast. I'm Barry Collins. In the first part of this month's podcast, we heard from Dr. Ahmed Al-Sahaili, who told us about how Saudi Arabia focused on improving the performance of its broadband networks for gamers. But which metrics make a big difference to the performance of online games? How does Sam Knows test the performance of game servers for popular titles such as Fortnite and FIFA? And how hard is it to keep up with the latest games and their ever-changing list of servers? To answer all of these questions and more, I'm joined by Sam Knows Head of Measurement Support, Jamie Mason. I started by asking Jamie, what are the key performance metrics to look for when it comes to delivering reliable games performance? So we touched on this a little bit in the uh, podcast we did about streaming game services, uh, but essentially gamers uh, will care about things like latency, uh, packet loss, and jitter. To go into a bit more detail on that, latency is basically the speed with which uh, the communication you're having with the, the server at the other end, uh, the speed at which all that is happening. Uh, packet loss is a nice proxy for basically saying the reliability of the connection is all your communication actually making it to the server and making it back again, or are we having to retry some of it? Mm-hmm. And jitter, which is essentially the difference uh, in the latency between individual packets. It's a fancy way of saying, how stable is this connection? How reliable is this connection? Um, there's a lot of talk about throughput, uh, download speed for connections, but realistically, for the vast majority of games, gamers don't need to care about that at all. Uh, geographical location matters. There are regions of the world, for example, the Middle East, or if you're in Australia or New Zealand, and sometimes if you're in South America or Africa, uh, you won't even have servers on your same continent. Uh, mm-hmm. And that can be a, a real problem. And I think we'll we'll probably talk about that more, in more detail. But part of the problem there is it doesn't really matter how good your connection is. If you're connecting to a server that is a very, very long way away, uh, the natural limitations of, of how the internet works and how networks communicate mean that you're always going to have some level of uh, high latency and probably run into other problems as well. So beyond where the servers themselves are located and how low the latency is on your connection and, and how low the packet loss is, uh, the other thing that's important to for users to bear in mind is, is how they actually get to those servers. And we refer to this as, as the routing, in other words, the path that your communications take when you talk to the server and when the server talks back to you. Mm-hmm. And some of this is in, in the control of the internet service provider that you have, uh, whether they have peering agreements, which means that they are able to send their traffic directly to the target server, or whether they have to use a third-party transit provider in order to send this information potentially on a longer route throughout the internet. You can have a very good connection yourself, so your own personal line could be high quality, high speed, low latency to a lot of places, but if you are trying to play a game to, uh, that is hosted on a service where your internet service provider doesn't really have good routing to it, then you're still going to run into potential problems that maybe someone else on a different service provider won't have because that service provider has better routing or pairing arrangements with the servers that you are connecting to. So how do games publishers host games? What does their infrastructure look like? So there's really two things here. First is uh, how are games themselves structured on the back end? Uh, And I'll I'll just go into that a little bit here. It can be an important distinction. So when you play a video game online, um, quite often you are logging into some sort of uh, game-specific service. And so there will be servers, login servers, that actually handle the incoming connections, 
handle all that communication, say, ah, yes, we have this user in our database here. Now, this is what their account level is. This is uh, what they've paid for, all this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then there's there might be some uh, game-specific uh, item information, for example, um, like, for example, in, in World of Warcraft. When you were playing World of Warcraft, there is a database somewhere that has all the information of all the items that you have, the quests that you completed, the achievements that you, you've collected. And then there's the game servers themselves. And, and this is where the, uh, the server logic uh, contains, for example, the artificial intelligence that you're, you're playing against. The game world itself is being run and hosted on these servers. And it's these game servers that we tend to focus on. So... That's one side of the story. The other side is, well, how do games publishers determine where to put these servers? Mm-hmm. And it varies. So it depends on the game, and it also depends on the publisher. So in general, big companies will often have their own international network if they're big enough. So for example, Riot, who uh, publish and produce League of Legends, have their own Riot network, which means they have their own data centers. They are in full control of international routing between uh, data centers uh, across across the globe, really. Mm-hmm. Um, you have Valve, who produced Dota 2. It's a similar story there. And you have Activision Blizzard, who produced World of Warcraft, and they have their own battle net, uh, which, uh, which is what they refer to their server infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Other companies are likely to rely on big third parties. So uh, good examples are things like uh, Amazon AWS or Microsoft Azure or Google Cloud. And sometimes as well smaller companies that just have good presence in one or two core regions that these these companies are interested in so it can vary quite dramatically where it varies and and what the decisions are and how those decisions are made it usually tends to just be a a financial uh, decision made by these companies Uh, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's just we have this pre-existing agreement we have this pre-existing infrastructure we're just going to use this Uh, sometimes it's very much a case of we don't think we have many uh, users or consumers in these regions, so we're not going to spend much time or money spinning up infrastructure there. We'll just make them route through to Europe or Japan or something along those lines. That is sometimes a vicious circle because if you have a popular online video game, but you're not getting any users in Saudi or India or somewhere like that uh, because you don't have servers in those locations and anyone trying to play that game is having a bad time, then they're not likely to buy the next one. And that means that there's not going to be this uh, commercial pressure to improve the situation in that region. The only way that that sort of pressure comes through is if someone in the the company, in the marketing department or sales department goes, these are big regions with a lot of people, and yet we're not seeing the sales. What can we do to make this more attractive? So companies need to be forward thinking rather than reacting to what they already have in place. So how do the Sam Knows games test work? and, And what part of the infrastructure are they reporting on? From a very high level, uh, the Samnos games tests are reporting on latency and packet loss, uh, as well as providing, where possible, uh, location informa- information. So, you know what what region we're connecting to, what data center we're connecting to, and if possible, what IP addresses we're te- we're testing to. Mm-hmm. Uh, the focus for us is on the game servers, so not the login servers or authentication servers. Uh, partly because high latency to those servers doesn't really affect gameplay and users won't notice it as much. You could have really high latency to a login server, but if you're taking three seconds longer to log in than you normally would, you're not really going to notice that. But if you have high latency to a game server, then you will notice that immediately. Mm -hmm. Where possible, 
we use a, an existing API or publicly available and updated server list provided by the publisher or, or someone connected to the game so that we know that we're always testing to the right um, list of servers. Um, it is possible for us to find out uh, or, or create a, um, an accurate list of servers by actually playing the game and looking at the network traffic and determining where this traffic is going and what the server list therefore looks like. Um, we don't just use a simple ICMP ping test. Uh, if necessary, we will use the correct protocol, um, sometimes a special UDP pro protocol uh, determined by the game publisher or uh, the game developer, and we will use the, the correct network communication methods for each game if required. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes, of course, you know, ICMP ping is fine, and it's just uh, doing the job, and, and that we have several tests where that is actually the case, and, and that's nice and easy. When it comes to actually choosing which servers uh, to connect to, so often we are providing a list of servers or have been given a list of servers, and uh, the most common method is to simply work out which the uh, which of the servers is the lowest latency, if that's how we think that the, the game itself behaves, or if we believe that the, uh, the server selection process is different, we'll try and mimic that. We can also uh, report on every single server in the list if that's uh, useful information. So for example, if you have 20 servers hosted in region A and 20 servers hosted in region B, we could report on all servers in region A just to make sure that performance to all of them is, uh, is identical because sometimes mm -hmm. they may be hosted by different companies. Uh, or we could test, uh, we could report to all the servers in both regions as well. So it's quite a flexible method. Uh, the good news is that sometimes uh, one set of tests can basically cover the entire set of games produced by a single publisher. So going back to uh, Activision Blizzard, for example, they have this Battle.net network that the, they set up uh, many years ago and have expanded over the years. Mm -hmm. And every game that uh, uses this, this online network has servers in the same locations. So it's kind of a one-size-fits-all thing. So we are able to, uh, to cover off all of um, Blizzard's main games just by uh, testing this infrastructure in one particular way. So you don't have to play the actual games, you're just testing the server infrastructure? It depends. Sometimes we do actually have to play the actual games to get the information we require. Right. Uh, there are some games where there is no publicly available information, there is no um, easy method of finding the servers that we have to connect to, and so we do actually have to put in the legwork and, and work out for ourselves where users in various regions will connect to and how they're going to connect to those servers. So of all the different applications that Sam knows measures, how hard is it to measure games performance? So measuring performance itself is actually quite straightforward for us uh, because we believe that uh, latency uh, and packet loss are the, the most important metrics here. Uh, actually measuring me latency and packet loss is, is quite straightforward. Finding out where we should be testing to and what protocol we, sh we should be using, uh, what communication methods we should be using, that's the hard part. So. Mm -hmm. Once we have discovered all this information, then the actual testing itself is straightforward. Um, but sometimes the, the work required to get to that stage is, is quite, uh, quite extensive. The other thing is that without uh, a publicly available and maintained list of servers, for example, if uh, a publisher just has a, a file online that includes all the server information, if they update that themselves, then fantastic. We, we can rely on that. We know that uh, it's up-to-date information. But what can happen is that we, we have a, a list of servers um, that we've created using some method, and, and then we have to maintain that list because mm -hmm. 
this will change. Uh, companies will will make changes on their back end on a regular basis, and we have to keep up with that. So for the games test, there can be quite a high level of, of maintenance required to, to keep everything update, uh, up to date even. Uh, ultimately, though, we're not really reporting on any complicated metrics. Um, so for some of our more um, advanced tests, we might be reporting on anywhere of between sort of 20 and 40 different individual metrics, really um, dialing down into into the, the real nitty-gritty of a particular test, especially with some of our video streaming tests. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for game performance, we, we can keep things simple and just focus on the latency and the packet loss. Are there any games that are more challenging than others to test? Yes. Uh, so... League of Legends, I think everyone here would agree, is probably the the hardest for us to, to measure. So League of Legends is hosted on uh, Riot's own network. It is very difficult for us to find a an appropriate list of servers. We have to do all the work ourselves. Uh, so there's a lot of playing of League of Legends to make sure that we have the right <laughs> servers. Um, strangely, it's never me that's asked to do this. I think it's probably because <laughs> I would spend far too long uh, caring about how well I'm doing rather than getting the servers themselves. Um, and it also can sometimes be quite difficult to actually work out where the servers are located uh, due to just how Riot's network is is set up and how it's labeled. Uh, mm-hmm. We do try, uh, where possible, for all our games, to associate server IP addresses with a region and with a particular data center. Uh, this can be easier uh, for games that are hosted on you know, Azure or AWS because uh, the naming mechanism is, is quite solid there. But for some other networks, it can be quite tricky. Mm-hmm. But any games where server information is made available by the publisher or the provider is the easiest. Uh, anything else is a, a sliding scale based on the difficulty of finding and maintaining a list of servers, basically. So how do you decide which games to test? To begin with, popularity is going to be the most important factor here. Um, as long as they are games where being online is important and, and where latency is important, um, then popular games are the ones we look to uh, to report on. So. Call of Duty or FIFA, um, those are sort of the classic games that everyone thinks about when mm-hmm. talking about online gaming. Um, the sensitivity of the games to latency matters a certain amount. Um, there is certainly some variation between the games we're currently testing, uh, just on how sensitive they are to latency. So uh, a competitive first-person shooter like Valorant or uh, Call of Duty might be more sensitive than, say, Among Us or, or Roblox or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we still try and measure those. There is also, and we have to be honest here, there, there's also going to be games where we simply aren't able to get an appropriate server list in a method, in a way that we're happy with and that we feel we can report on and be accurate with our reporting. So that there will be games where it just isn't really possible at this stage for Sam knows to, to accurately report on them. Mm-hmm. We're always developing additional tests uh, and we're always making decisions on, on which tests and which games to focus on next. Um, part of it, uh, is about not just looking at the the latest and greatest thing, but also games that might have more longevity. So long-running series like Call of Duty or FIFA is, is kind of an easy bet. Mm-hmm. Um, a game that is incredibly popular for three weeks might not be worth the time uh, if by the time we've you know, finished developing the test in a month or two, if no one's playing it, then, uh, then it was kind of wasted time. So we yeah. do tend to look for something that would be a little bit more mature in terms of the player base. So how much of a factor is the distance between the server the game's hosted from and where the white box or the software agent is? It's always going to be a factor. Um, there are things that uh, game developers can do to reduce the impact of latency, uh, client-side prediction where 
um, you attempt to essentially predict uh, what is going to be sent to the server and sent by the server because uh, games can often operate in a, in a predictable manner. Uh, things like that can make a game look like it's uh, running with lower latency than it actually is. But ultimately, um, there's no getting around the fact that if you have a large geographical distance between two points, then there is going to be a minimum amount of latency that's going to be imposed. Mm -hmm. Now, how how big a difference it makes uh, can depend on a few things. So uh, firstly, it's how how good the routing is from where you are to where the servers are. That can help reduce packet loss and jitter. uh, And how latency sensitive the game is. So again, going back to that discussion about, say, Valorant versus uh, World of Warcraft or or Among Us, um, it's entirely possible and even common to be playing World of Warcraft from... Uh, a completely different continent. So uh, I've played World of Warcraft from here with friends in the USA, and you get used to it. It's not really a big deal. But trying to play a, a competitive first-person shooter, it, it would just be a non-starter. You, you would have a horrible time. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just how big a distance we're talking about. If it's just international, so if you're going from one country to a nearby country, that may be fine, depending on uh, on the network health and network factors. But if you're going from you know the Middle East to... Northern Europe or, or the USA, then it's it, you're going to struggle. Mm-hmm. So, talking about Saudi uh, Saudi Arabia in particular, because they are a good case study for this. Um, a lot of the games that we measure actually uh, use servers hosted in Europe. Um, quite a lot of Saudi Arabian internet traffic actually does go to Europe, uh, usually via France. Mm-hmm. Um, so this isn't just a, a game servers thing. It's also a lot of application servers. Saudi Arabian users will actually be directed to Europe. And their connection to France is actually pretty good. Um, it's about 70 milliseconds to Marseille um, from Riyadh. Uh, so that, that's not too terrible. And there's a lot of games where actually 70 milliseconds is perfectly acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on where in Europe uh, things are hosted, then that can add a, a lot more latency on top. And also it does then vary by internet service provider. Uh, what we are seeing, though, is that there are more sort of local endpoints, so more local game servers appearing uh, for some of the, the games that we're testing. So what what I mean by local is not necessarily in Saudi Arabia itself, but in nearby countries, so Bahrain or the United Arab Emirates, where they have uh, a lot of high-speed internet infrastructure, uh, a lot of internet infrastructure development, and where places like uh, where services like uh, Amazon AWS and Microsoft Azure uh, have presence as well, mm-hmm. so any games that would use those will be directed to Bahrain or Dubai, for example. Um, we can see that just looking at our results, that the uh, the latency can really vary. Um, so if you are a, a Saudi Fortnite player. Uh, then it's great. Uh, you'll be averaging somewhere between 20 and 40 milliseconds most nights, mm-hmm. uh, and you'll be hitting Amazon's AWS fairly close by, so Bahrain or Dubai. But if you're playing Among Us, you'll be you'll be hitting uh, servers based in Europe, and you can be anywhere from 70 milliseconds to 120 milliseconds on an average night. And and that, of course, is uh, excluding any any particular international routing problems or. or Uh, any issues that might happen on the path, which the further you go on the internet is more likely to happen. Even for the servers that are are located quite close, there's still quite a reasonable amount of difference between internet service providers. So this reflects the nature of their peering arrangements with the big companies like Amazon. Um, Mm -hmm. And also reflecting their connections to Europe for the games that, uh, that are hosted there. 
Uh, it's also worth remembering that um, some of these servers are not hosted by Amazon or, or Microsoft, but actually by the games company themselves. So again, Riot or, or Valve or Blizzard. And Valve, for example, um, if you have good peering arrangement with them, then fantastic. Every game that Valve owns and, and operates is going to be excellent for your users. And if you are using a third-party transit provider, um, because you don't have that agreement with Valve, then your users are going to suffer in comparison. It is always better, though, even if it is uh, going over a third-party transit provider, to have a reasonably local server than having to go all the way to Europe. So even if you are on an ISP in Saudi where your ISP doesn't have this arrangement, uh, as long as you are going to Bahrain or the United Arab Emirates, then it's still better than ending up in Germany or, or Amsterdam somewhere. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that this is a changing environment. So as as time goes on, companies are spinning up um, more local servers, uh, moving to environments where they are able to offer servers closer to users. And in some cases, it's just uh, reflecting the nature of the services they're already using. So if Amazon expands AWS, for example, then then that's great by default for all the publishers that are uh, that have games hosted on Amazon. And the hope is that more companies will will pay attention to regional servers. And mm-hmm. it won't just be for the Middle East or Australia or New Zealand, but there are other regions that traditionally are, are left behind. So if you're in India or Pakistan or, or multiple African nations or, or South America, then uh, quite often it is not a great experience to be trying to play uh, modern online games. Some of this is just a reflection of the nature of the country's own internet infrastructure and the routing. Some of it is uh, a sad reminder of the fact that the games industry is very much dominated by three markets, which is North America, Europe, and Japan and and local areas. So there is uh, a need for for companies to to sort of push to to make sure that their games are available and also playable, uh, especially online in those regions. That's it for this month's podcast. If you missed the first part of this podcast or the article that accompanies these shows, you can get both at samnose.com forward slash spotlight. Until next month, goodbye.